0: is found in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 should be very easy to find in your Bible right there at the beginning. Uh, If you're able, would you please stand out of uh, honor and respect for the word of our Lord. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters and separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated water, the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. And God called the expanse sky, And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let the dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and gathered the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees in the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to the various kinds. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing which with which the water teems according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water and the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Blessed be them, God, sorry, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and birds over the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw that he had made it that was very good, and it was evening and it was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work that he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. But we need to understand that, that ideas and thoughts have consequences. And if you deny the Genesis account of creation, then that puts into question the authority and the infallibility and sufficiency of God's word. So we need to ask the question, is Genesis correct or is it not? And if it's not correct, then we might as well put away our Bibles because none of it can be authoritative in our lives. But we who gather here in the name of Jesus Christ believe in God's Word from beginning to end. And we want to to remember and to revere God's Word, because it's God's Word alone that is the authority for our lives. And there there are those who would say that we're, we're pitting science against God's Word, but it really, it really is, they do not disagree with each other, it's just a matter of your key of interpretation. Whether you're a scientist who is an atheist and denies the Creator, or whether you are a creationist, and there are many, many scientists who affirm the Gospel account, the Genesis account of creation, we're looking at the same facts, we're just viewing it from a different perspective. And having a different authority. But it's sad that that even in even in the, the, the mainstream church, even in, in Bible preaching churches, there is denial of of the Creator, a denial of the Genesis account. I know one of one of the, the, the preachers that I love listening to is John Piper. But I was so grieved to to hear that John Piper actually believes in millions and millions of years. Just an example of the fact that it is not any man that is our authority. It is God's Word alone. Some of you may have heard of Bruce Waltke. He's a very well-known Old Testament theologian. I started to take a class with him at Regent College back in 2007. He's just written a, a huge Old Testament theology that's, that's considered to be uh, one of the, the authorities when it comes to these issues. But his view is that the first, that the beginning, the Genesis account is poetic and therefore is is not authoritative. So I went and asked him after that lecture if this, if if that's true, if if we don't have to accept the creation account, then what do we do with with the rest of Genesis? And he said it's a can of worms, isn't it? It really is a can of worms, and and it's it's so important that we get these things right. So we're thankful to have have men like, like Calvin who are going to come and, and share with us and to help us to understand. So please come and join us, Calvin.
1: Good morning. How's everyone doing? I'm just checking all my technology here. Everything's working. It's good. I like technology when it works. I don't like it when it doesn't work. You guys can relate. You guys into technology here? You like all that good stuff? YouTube and Twitter and Facebook, all that stuff. Did you guys hear now they're going to amalgamate? They're going to make one huge social networking site. Did you guys hear that? Yeah, they're going to call it you TwitFace. <laughs> Should be pretty cool. No, I'm just joking. Anyway, my name is Cal Smith, like it says up there, and I do speak for Creation Ministries. And uh, if you've never been to a Creation Ministries presentation before, you're probably wondering, what are we going to get into here, that can of worms that uh, Pastor John mentioned? But uh, really, uh, as he mentioned as well, we're an apologetics ministry. We give a defense for the Christian faith, but uh, we're kind of specialized. We uh, specialize in those areas where, you know, many people think there's a challenge between what modern science is showing. And what the scripture clearly says. So Bible and science type issues, creation, evolution, that's what we get into. But we're an information ministry. That's what we want to do is get information into the hearts and minds of Christians so that you'll have some answers to some of the questions you may have about certain areas of scripture and also so you'll have answers for where you go to share the faith. Because I can guarantee you what we're talking about here this morning is something that will come up in a witnessing situation in in North America. I'd say, I don't know, seven, eight, nine times out of ten, if you can really get people to... You know, to to, uh, dig into what they believe about origins and and, and things like that. So how do we get this information out there? Well, we do talks at churches. We've got a TV show. We've also got a website. Who doesn't? (laughs) But our our website's quite unique because of how unique our ministry is. We actually have more PhD scientists on staff with creation ministries than any other Christian ministry I'm aware of. So you could say we're uniquely qualified in this area. Only problem with our uh, website is it's got a really difficult website name. So I'm going to get you guys to repeat it back to me here. It's not that tough. I, I just like to do that to my audiences because I want to stick that in your head, okay? So that if you ever get challenged, you think, boy, how do you answer that question? Oh, yeah, creation. Creation.com. Type in a couple of keywords and uh, you'll get some information. Um, we have another way of getting information out there. We've got an email newsletter. So I'm going to get the ushers to come forward. They're going to help me out and they're going to pass out some clipboards. And they're going to look like this. Uh, the clipboards, not the guys. And... Uh, Anyway, if, if you want to stay in touch with our ministry, uh, we, we always have things that are going on in the news, uh, where our speakers are going to be, different resources, stuff like that. So just jot your email address down there, pass that clipboard to your neighbor when you get it, and uh, we'll pop in something like this into your inbox every now and then, and we'll just keep you informed. By the way, we're not spamming you, we're not asking for money, all that kind of stuff. It's just a, just a newsletter. Um, I should give you a little bit of background on myself, I guess, before we start. Uh, I did not grow up attending uh, church, going to youth group, anything like that. My parents weren't Christians. Um, I grew up as an atheist. I came to Christ at age 27, uh, became a youth pastor, and now I speak for Creation Ministries. <laughs> so I've been on both sides of the fence of this, uh, this topic we're going to cover here this morning. But um, you know, growing up, I think I had the same three big questions everybody has. You know, you take a course in philosophy, they hit you with the big three, right? Where do we come from? What's the meaning of life? What happens when you die? Now, many people haven't unpacked this, but see, your answer to question number one, where do we come from ultimately, the question of origins, it actually allows you to answer question number two and number three. And there's only two options for where we came from. Here's your two options. I've been doing this for about ten years. This is about as condensed as I can put it. Here's your two options for where we came from ultimately. Number one would be the universe created itself. Option two would be, it didn't. Okay? Now, if the universe created itself, there's got to be some kind of naturalistic, mechanistic, evolutionary way we can explain everything we interact with. And if it didn't create itself, there's a creator. That's about as simple as you can put it. I've never had anyone articulate an intelligent third option for that, by the way, whether I'm at a university or elsewhere. Um, you know, I've had people throw their hands up and say, well, wait a sec, what about aliens? You know, Maybe aliens beamed life down onto the planet. Okay, even if you believe in aliens, did they evolve or were they created? You're always back to the same thing. These two ultimate worldviews. Now, how do these worldviews affect uh, people and the culture, etc.? I mean, if you're a Christian here this morning, you're probably bumping into all sorts of different worldviews with your unsafe family and friends. You know, the New New Age movement, the occult growing rapidly here in Canada, communism, humanism, all sorts of isms and schisms, right? Ways people are trying to wrap their brains around reality. How does that affect the culture and the church? I mean, the church, we're dealing with a lot of hot topic issues now, aren't we? Same-sex marriage, abortion, you know, most of these issues that most evangelicals are fighting against. Um, Take the abortion issue, for example. Did you know at any point in a woman's pregnancy here in Canada, ninth month, you've just had your 3D ultrasound, you're allowed to terminate the fetus, kill the baby? My wife works for a pregnancy care center. Yeah, most people think it's the first three months. Um, But I pulled this news report off the Internet in 2004. title of the article was, Does History Repeat Itself? It was alluding to the Nazi Holocaust. And it said, A Dutch hospital is euthanizing, killing newborn babies who don't measure up to an arbitrary standard set by the hospital. And as I read the article, apparently in this hospital in this country, the the baby was born and the next day you decide whether you kill it or not. Folks, um, how do we get back here? Let me tell you how we got here. If there's no God, who makes the rules? Sinful mankind. See, many Christians I meet, especially older Christians, are are kind of horrified about what's going on in the culture out there. Right? Some of the things we see. And they just don't understand what's happening. But I'll tell you, an easy way to find out where we're going to be in 20 years is just to look at what the high-level educators are teaching today, and you're going to know where we're going to be in 20 years when those young people accept what they were taught and start living it out in their lives. For example, uh, many people would want to go to a nice university like Harvard or Princeton or something like that. Let me read you a quote from Peter Singer. He's the professor of bioethics at Princeton University. And this man has said this, Killing a disabled infant is not morally equivalent to killing a person. Very often, it's not wrong at all. As a matter of fact, uh, Singer has advocated a 28-day time period where he feels parents should have 28 days after their kids are born, whether they get to decide to off them or not. You know, if they've got a disability or something. Does anybody here uh, in the audience know someone with a family that has a disability? Yeah, look around the room and think about the implications of what this is saying. And he's the professor of ethics at Princeton University. Um, See, Psalm 11.3 says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, I understand that's in a certain context in Scripture, but it can get you thinking about the foundations of the faith. I mean, folks, let me ask you guys a question. Um, Do you guys find candidates becoming more Christian or less Christian every year? That's the same answer I get wherever I speak in Canada. And so in a big picture sense, we all understand something. The church is no longer affecting the culture in a big picture sense. But the the culture sure is affecting the church, right? Particularly with our young people. That's usually where you see it start to show up. So I want to look into this. See, many uh, of my brothers and sisters seem to have forgotten that um, all of our Christian doctrines, directly or indirectly, are founded in the book of Genesis. I mean, think about it. Um, you know, the culture's talking about same-sex marriage. How about just marriage? Where would you first encounter uh, that in the Scripture? Genesis. God created the man, created the woman from his side. The two become one, right? What other doctrines? Well, you guys are all wearing clothes this morning. Good on you, as my Aussie friends would say, right? Well, that's not a major Christian doctrine, but if you were going to gonna explain biblically why we wear clothes, where would you find that? Genesis. It's a covering for sin and shame. Where would you first encounter the need of a savior in the Bible? Genesis. And what's the most attacked book of the Bible by skeptics and atheists? Same book. They just take their guns and they just keep firing at our foundation because they understand something clearly. You knock out the foundation, the whole structure collapses. Now, what I want to do here briefly is go through the Christian worldview. You know, if we were going to build a puzzle of our faith, you know, the, the, the essential pieces, you know, I speak to all different denominations, but I mean, just as a Christian, what are the fundamentals, what do we have to put together here? And I can ask anybody, uh, you know, what's the key piece of the puzzle for your faith? And I hear something like this, Jesus died for my sins. Amen? Is this an amen, church? Well, I, I actually, I asked that one time and this lady at the front, she's like, no, it's true. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that's cool. I'll be at a Pentecostal church next week. They don't have a problem with it. Trust me. Anyway, this is the message of the cross. And if you don't believe the message of the cross, you're not a Christian, right? What is that message? Well, Jesus died for the sins of the world. He paid the penalty that we deserve to pay, but we couldn't pay it. He paid it. He became the last Adam. There was a first Adam that brought sin and death into the world, and Jesus paid the price for that for those who put their faith and trust in him. And that's not big news, probably, if you've been around the church for a while. But anyway, that's the, the center point here. What else comes with the message of the cross? Well, we've got the account of the virgin conception, what some people call the virgin birth, right? Jesus is born of a virgin. This is pretty supernatural stuff. This is why we celebrate Christmas. What else do we have? Well, the really good news. The resurrection. Jesus died, but he rose again. And in doing so, he conquered sin and death, right? That's the the good news. And I love the way the New Testament writers write. You know, they just say, look, if these events didn't actually happen, if Christ is not risen, we're still lost in our sins. We're to be pitied. We're fools. Um, If Christianity is not based on real history, then it's just a sham. Okay, the message of the cross. That's the epicenter of Christianity. Have you ever wondered why Jesus needed to come and die like that? How many people here have seen the movie The Passion? A lot of you. Yeah, I've seen the movie once. It wasn't a real fun ride for me, to be honest. Sitting there in the theater, watching torture, watching the crucifixion, it reminded me again of what my sin did to my Savior. A horrible, brutal, bloody death on the cross. Why do you have to die like that? Why couldn't he just die some kind of spiritual death, you know? See, it pays sometimes, folks, to take the Scripture and continue on from where pastor read this morning and just read all the way through the bible you get a unique sense of what the scripture teaches from beginning to end see if you start in the book of beginnings as we read this morning you read that god created and at the end of his crea- creation he pronounced everything was very good there was no sin no death did you catch genesis 129 that in the beginning everything was eating plants well of course because there was no bloodshed, there was no death, right? didn't look like Discovery Channel in the Garden of Eden, you know what I mean? You know, you see one of the lions grab the front of the zebra, and the other one grab the back, and then it's like, you know? It's Not very good, is it? No. In the beginning, everything's eating plants. There's no death, no bloodshed. Of course, sometimes you get people argue with you. Uh, people always want to argue with you, I guess. And they say, well, wait a sec, plants are alive. No. You ever bite into a celery stick and have it freak out on you? It's pretty common sense, but sometimes people want to get fussy and they're like, no, 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 plants are alive. And I'm like, well, you know, if you want to get technical, there's a Hebrew word called nefesh that's ascribed to animals and people in the Bible, but never to plants. Okay, so they don't shed their blood in the same way. If I get home from this tour and I, you know, give Ange, my wife, uh, you know, a bouquet of flowers, that's going to go down pretty good, actually, I think, you know, dead flowers. (laughs) If I start collecting some squirrels along the way, it's probably not going to be the same reaction. Um, There's something abhorrent about animal and and people death, right? It's an intrusion. Um, Okay, well, we don't live in this world, so what happened? Well, just keep reading, and you come across uh, what theologians call the fall, the fall of man. Well, what's this? Well, God gave Adam and Eve a virtual paradise to live in. Not because they were so good or anything did God a favor, just strictly through his grace. But as a test to see whether they would remain loyal to him and his word, He gave them one negative command. Don't eat the fruit on that tree over there. Because the day you do, Adam, dying, you will die. That's the way the Hebrew reads. You'll return to the dust. A physical death as well as a spiritual death. Separation from God. And of course, we know what happens. Now, this isn't just some Old Testament thing, right? The uh, scripture is an interwoven story from beginning to end. God breathed. And uh, when we look in Romans, look at what we see. Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, because all have sin. You want to know where death comes from? One man. Adam. Jesus became the last Adam. Now, uh, I understand the fall is kind of hard to understand uh, for people, but I'm a, I'm a parent three times over now. I've got three kids, and I've actually got three grandkids now, so... I'm excited. I know it's all that oil of Olay I use, but that's okay. I've had a baby face all my life. I just milk it now. I'm like, yeah, I'm a young yeah. Anyway, uh, you know, when you have kids, I think teenagers make a fantastic uh, analogy for the fall. You know, uh, sorry teenagers that are in here, but uh, anyway, you know, you know, you create them in your own image. They turn 15. They deny your existence. Kind of like the fall. You know. Anyway, it probably doesn't happen here in Kelowna, uh, just in Guelph, Ontario. But anyway. Okay, where are we here? God judged Adam. But are we as Christians not telling people that there's a coming judgment? Yeah, there's a coming fiery judgment. But in the Bible, it talks about a watery judgment. There's been a global judgment before. Genesis 6-9. to uh, What many people call Noah's flood. And uh, what's this event? Well, it's a worldwide flood sent to destroy all flesh on land because mankind has become so evil and wicked that God wipes it out and starts over again. And it's... Uh, like the judgment to come but i'm starting to notice you know even many conservative theological uh, uh, theologians are, are starting to downplay the account of the flood they're starting to say things like well you know maybe it wasn't a global flood maybe it's just a local flood you know over in mesopotamia somewhere some guy got his farm animals on a, on a raft or something and he just kind of got embellished and thrown into the word of god <laughs> just want you guys to know where i'm coming from i don't go by what some theologian says I go by what the Word of God says in context. And when I look at Genesis 7 19, when it's talking about God's talking about the waters rising on the earth, it says all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered to a depth of more than twenty feet. Folks, if whatever mountains were on the planet at the time were covered to a depth of more than twenty feet, it was a global flood. As an apologist, I can't schmooze the scripture and make it mean something it doesn't mean. Because I get attacked on my inconsistency. But anyway, I just want you guys to know where I'm coming from. I think it's important uh, if you're uh, being taught uh, to know where the person's coming from. Anyway, that'll make more sense later. I just wanted to point that out. Um, Anyway, okay, God's judged the world. Uh, He's going to do so in the future. What does he base his judgment upon? Well, just keep reading. And you're going to come across the giving of the law. Well, what's that? Well, I mean, this law was given to the Israelites, right? But in a big picture sense, what is the law? It's the difference between right and wrong. See, God is absolute sovereign creator, has created moral absolutes emanating from who he is. Okay? And uh, the Apostle Paul uh, tells us why the law was given. One of the reasons in Romans 7, 7, he said, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. The law is like a marker. You know, when you're driving along, and everything's fine, you know? And, and uh, you look up, and you see that sign, and it says 80. And then you glance down, and it says 112. And then those little red lights, red lights show up in the rearview mirror? Because that sign just told you it was the marker. You haven't made, you know, you've broken the law. You know, you think about things, we uh, look at the Ten Commandments. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. How's everybody doing? You guys are doing about as good as I was doing. <laughs> Right? And the knowledge of sin drives people to the foot of the cross. You see where we are in the story? That's why Jesus needed to come and die. Because we've all failed. Um, what's the future going to be like? It was amazing. first time I read the Bible. It was pretty exciting. talked about a time of restoration, when God would restore the world uh, like it was in the beginning. Because we read in Revelation 21.4, there will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. See, in the beginning there was no death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, and there won't be any in the restoration. Literally, death will be done away with as the last enemy. Now, that's the meta-narrative of the Bible. That's the big picture of what Scripture teaches from beginning to end. And uh, you can just pick up the Scripture at any point. And if you know that, you can kind of know where you are in the story. But if our worldview is no longer penetrating into the culture anymore in a big way, I mean, let's put our worldview to the side for a second. There must be a competing worldview that's getting a little more traction. Um, I could talk about a lot of different worldviews as an apologist, different cults, religions, etc. But let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum from our worldview, and that would be the atheistic worldview. You guys know what an atheist is, right? Atheos, someone who declares there is no God. They have to answer the same three big questions. Where do we come from? What's the meaning of life? What happens when I die? Now, if you're an atheist, um, you presuppose there is no God. If there's no God, then you only accept natural explanations for everything. Because that's all there is. There's just matter and energy in your worldview. There's no revelation from a holy book. There's no intelligent designer. There's nothing but matter and energy. And you get to figure out what truth is because it's not revealed to you uh, in a book, etc. A good example of a modern-day atheist would be Professor Richard Dawkins. How many people have heard of Dawkins? Pretty popular. It's on all these talk shows, you know. They always get him up there as this, you know, British intellectual and stuff. George Strombolophagus or Snuffolophagus or whatever. You know, and they, ooh, wow, this guy's really smart because he doesn't believe in God, you know. And, uh, you know, Dawkins has said all sorts of things over the years. He said things, you know, he writes all these books like the God delusion. You're deluded if you believe in God, you know. He said things like this. If you are a parent and you teach your kids about God, it's child abuse you should have your kids taken away from you. That's my typical Canadian reaction, by the way. <laughs> well, we're Canadians, right? We're laid back, and I'm finding out in BC here, you guys are really laid back. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, if I say stuff like that down the States, they're like, shh, shh, I'm like, whoa, dude, put it away, you know? They get pretty excited about stuff like that. Maybe we should get a little more excited about it, too. Because as pastor said, thoughts have consequences. Did you guys hear about the 15 Mennonite families in uh, Quebec a couple years ago? They had their own private Christian school. And the government came in and told them, you must teach these children homosexuality as a positive lifestyle and evolution as fact or we'll take your kids away from you. Did you guys hear about that? You know what you call that? Religious persecution. And it's alive and well in Canada. You guys just wait a couple of years. You'll find out what the Toronto District School Board is starting to implement in public schools in Toronto. It's going to send chills up and down your spine. I don't got time to talk about it today. But what we're talking about here is not some side issue in the church. It's a foundational issue because it strikes at the heart about what people believe about reality. How we're to conduct ourselves and our laws and interact with each other. Okay, well, you're an atheist, and you've got to answer the first question. How does it all start? Where does it usually start for the atheist? Well, it's usually some form of cosmic evolution, usually the Big Bang, right? I mean, don't they have that little ditty on TV that kind of sums it all up? Mad science history, unraveling the mystery. It all started with a Big Bang. Hey. Right? That's the deal. Uh... You know, some uncaused explosion billions of years ago. Hydrogen starts to coalesce. Stars and galaxies form. Where'd the Earth come from? Earth's a hot molten blob hurtling through space. Gradually cools down. By the way, part of geological evolution would be those rock layers, you know, with the dead things in there, the fossils? That's part of geological evolution. But first you need life for the dead things. So where'd that come from? Well, that's chemical evolution. In some warm, soupy pond or at the bottom of the heat vents of the oceans billions of years ago, some non-living chemicals just came together, formed a life form. And then onward, upward, through natural selection, genetic mutation, one kind morphed into a completely different kind, culminating in ape-like creatures who get bigger brains, and here we are talking about it. Well, that's the story, isn't it? That's the story I got taught as fact in public school all my life. And they're still teaching it as fact, and I know that even in a room this size, some of you right now, the hair on the back of your neck starting to creep up a little bit, because you're looking at that going, yeah, but that's science, dude. That's not science. That's a way of explaining everything without God. Where's God needed in that process? Nowhere. That's why Dawkins is running around telling everybody you can be an intellectually fulfilled atheist now, because you can explain everything without God. You don't think that transcends into the metaphysical? I mean, uh, let me read you a a quote from Bill Provine, atheistic uh, biology professor at Cornell University. And this is what he has to say about these things. Let me summarize my views on what modern evolutionary biology tell us loud and clear. There are no gods, no purposes, no goal-directed forces of any kind. There's no life after death. When I die, I'm absolutely certain that I'm going to be dead and that's the end for me. There is no ultimate foundation for ethics. No ultimate meaning to life. And no free will for humans either. Um, Do you guys remember the three big questions? There's not a test or anything, but remember the three big questions? Question number one, where do we come from? According to the atheist, evolution. Question number two, what's the meaning of life? There is no meaning to life in this worldview. How can there be meaning to life if everything is the result of a random chance cosmic accident? It's just matter and energy. Um, What's going to happen when you die? Nothing. You're not going to stand in front of a holy God and be judged based on what you've done. I mean, basically, in this worldview, it's a very unfair universe. Because if someone goes out there and does something horrific and they get away with it, they get away with it. No judgment. Do you know how attractive this worldview is to sinners? It's very attractive, and people are lapping it up, left, right, and center. And this provides the atheist with a meta narrative as well—a way of explaining everything without God. And of course, most Christians, educated in a public school system, being taught this, they're struggling with this because they're—they're they're, they're trying to, you know, fit this stuff together. How does this accidental be- beginning fit with this? Uh, fit with what? You know, the Bible says. And they're trying to go, well, maybe this is my faith, and maybe this is science, and maybe I can, it doesn't work. How many people have ever been to a public debate? A couple yeah. And in a debate situation, you have to adhere to the laws of logic, or else your opponent trips you up, right? You can't contradict yourself. You know the law of non-contradiction? Give you an example. Let's say I'm at a dinner party. Someone says, uh, Cal, is your wife pregnant? And I say, yep. Ten seconds later, someone says, Cal, is your wife pregnant? And I say, nope. There's a problem, right? Right, ladies? (laughs) Because it can't be yes and no at the same time, right? Now, if you were to overhear that, you're probably looking for some kind of qualifier, like, hmm, maybe Cal didn't understand the question, or maybe Cal's a liar. Maybe Cal's a Mormon. I don't know. It can't be be yes and no in the same context, right? Um, Let's look at these two worldviews. Do they contradict each other? Um, Let's try science first. We read uh, from Genesis 1 this morning. Ten times in the Bible, God said that he created kinds of creatures to reproduce after their own kind. Um, Okay. Dogs make dogs. People make people. Horses make horses. But the theory of evolution says one kind morphs into a completely different kind over millions of years. Does that cohere? No. Uh, How about philosophically? What does love your neighbor and survival of the fittest have to do with each other? Nothing. That's why if you attempt to argue this way with an informed skeptic, they're going to rip you to pieces intellectually. Because you're actually arguing against what you claim as a Christian is your ultimate authority, and that's the Word of God. You actually have to argue against the Bible to try to make this fit. Now, uh, growing up, of course, I used to think this was a science versus faith issue, and I was an atheist, so I thought I had science, you know. And uh, I haven't done a lot of driving around here, but anyway, do you guys have this in the back of your cars around here? You see that? You know, they got the Christian fish, and then sometimes you get got the Darwin fish. Do you guys have that around here? I see it a lot in Guelph, but anyway. I call it car wars. <laughs> I just think it's really funny that people are willing to take their primary worldview and stick it on the back of their car, right? You know, and announce to all the world, everybody that's ever behind them, what they believe about where they came from, you know? And some person's like, I came from an all-loving God. I came from palm scum. That's not all they're saying, though. They're saying something a little deeper, if you think about it. One person's acknowledging something. I was created. Someone owns me. And I'm responsible to them. Nobody owns me. That's what they're saying, folks. They're plastering it all over the back of their car. Thumbing their nose at God is what they're doing. Science versus faith. Somebody already asked me, are you a scientist? No, I'm not a scientist. I work with a lot of scientists. They're pretty interesting people. (laughs) Kind of is like Sheldon every now and then. But anyway. You know, I think I've come to know a little bit about science uh, doing this for a little while. And when people come up to me, you know, I was uh, doing a a seminar uh, yesterday and the day before at Willow Park and and they'll say things like, well, yeah, but, you know, science has proven this and science has proven that. I kind of know where they're coming from. If you're talking about science proving something, you're talking about the scientific method. And nobody argues with this way of doing science, right? Because you can set up an, uh, an experiment in a lab, you repeat it over and over again and you're observing the results in real time. Nobody argues about that kind of science. That's why we got computers and all that stuff. But um, could you use the scientific method? See, there's two types of science. Could you use the scientific method to prove that Abraham Lincoln ever existed? No. That's historical science, right? What what type of repeatable observable test could you set up in a lab showing me his existence? By the way, what type of repeatable observable scientific experiment could you set up in a laboratory showing me ape-like creatures turning into people? Actually, I had a sixth grader stick her hand up one time. I was like, yes. She said, get an ape and wait. <laughs> and I was like, genius. You know, Because she understood the scientific method. She was thinking, well, if that was going to be empirical science, you would have had to make the observation. Exactly. See, if you believe that ape-like creatures have turned into people over millions of years, you believe it on faith. Faith in the diagrams you've seen uh, in a textbook. Uh, faith in the museum exhibits you've seen, or the explanation someone has given you for those things, but they didn't observe that transformation. See, when you get into the creation-evolution debate, it's more like an Agatha Christie novel, or, you know, CSI, or The Mentalist. You know, I don't know what you guys are into out here, but you know one of these shows, it always starts the same way, doesn't it? You know, dun-dun-dun, there's someone dead. Ooh, what happened? Right? (laughs) That's the whole premise of every show, Right? And so they're going to, you know, get a hair follicle, do a DNA analysis on a blood sample or whatever, right? But because they didn't observe the crime, they've got to come up with a plausible explanation of the facts. And, of course, when it goes to the courtroom uh, scenario, we've got this adversarial system in our courts, right? And so everybody's looking at the same facts. But the prosecutor gets up, and he tries to convince the jury of a record of history. This is the way it happened. You know, Mr. Jones, it was January the 22nd, and it was 8.22 p.m., and he pulled open the window, and he pulled his gun, and he starts telling a story based on the facts, but he didn't observe the event. Now, of course, what happens when the defense lawyer gets up, they go, "No, no, 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 it didn't happen his way. Look at the facts my way, and he reinterprets the facts and gives a different account of history. How can you have two different accounts of history based on the same facts? I thought facts spoke for themselves. No, that's why you have lawyers, right? They speak for the facts. Basically, they're biased. They're arguing from two different points of view. I've had people say to me, well, Cal, now that you're a Christian, you know, you're, you're kind of biased against the theory of evolution. And I say, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Because I'm a Christian <laughs> and I've read the Bible over and over and over again and continue to do so on a daily basis. You know the only thing I've never seen in the Bible? Evolution. It's not there. And people say, well, see, that's, you're just not being scientific then. I mean, if you automatically interpret the evidence according to your pre. Well, wait a second. Remember the other team I was talking about? Remember the atheists? How many atheists automatically interpret the evidence according to evolution? What's the percentage? 100%! Because if you're an atheist, you have to explain how you got here without God. You have to believe in evolution of some sort. Now, you need to understand that creationists and evolutionists have the exact same facts. We interpret them according to our pre-belief. So we're all looking at nature, we're all looking at distant starlight, we're all looking at dead things in, in rock layers, we're all looking at uh, changes in living things, etc. But we come to different conclusions based on our starting approach. And of course, as a Christian, I believe you should with the Bible. Now, interesting to me to Christians who who are things like, yeah, but but evolution's a fact. And in fact, the greatest champion of evolution on the planet today, Richard Dawkins, uh, he was being interviewed on Bill Moyers' show in 2004. And is my mic starting to crack out here? Heartbeat. Oh, it's my heartbeat. I get all fired up when I talk about this stuff. Just grab that mic then why don't I do that check one there we go how's that you want to boost me a bit you want me to sing you guys don't want me to sing <clears throat> anyway yeah Bill Moyer's uh, show now I don't know if you ever saw it it's uh, I don't think I think it's defunct now anyway Richard Dawkins gets invited on his show and uh, Moyers asked Dawkins a very interesting question he said Richard is evolution a theory not a fact Richard Dawkins evolution has been observed it's just that it hasn't been observed while it's happening now as the former holder of the chair of public understanding of knowledge of science at Oxford University I would well imagine that dr. Dawkins knows what empirical science is based on and that is observation and he just dropped the ball didn't he because it evolution hasn't been observed now this wasn't just some oopsie okay i'm not misquoting him you can look up the transcript as a matter of fact this quote has caused dawkins great pain (laughs) as people like myself keep repeating it in context so he was on a show called the genius of charles darwin some uh, time later and he was i think he was trying to do some damage control here but anyway uh, he scripted this out check this out richard dawkins nobody's actually seen evolution take place over a long period what did he just reiterate second time nobody's seen it but he says you've seen the after effects and the after effects are massively supported then he says it's like a case in a court of law where nobody can actually stand up and say I saw the murder what he just said for the third time now evolution hasn't been observed which means it's not empirical science it's a belief about the past but then he says but you've got millions and millions of pieces of evidence which no reasonable person can possibly dispute Okay. He says, uh, we haven't seen it. That's not a fact, but uh, all the evidence points to it, but he's using a court case analogy. So let me continue with the court case analogy. If you went to your local court to observe the proceedings, and this is what you observed every time the prosecution wanted to talk about the facts, the judge said, sure, go ahead. And every time the defense wanted to talk about the facts "Nope, no, you're not allowed. What kind of courtroom would you call that? I call it a joke. That's what I call it. I want you to think about something in your public school system in Canada. The official curriculum, I'm not talking about what a, what a random Christian teacher might introduce here and there. I'm talking about the official curriculum in Canada. How many different ways do they explain question number one to the kiddies in in school? Just one way. That's called indoctrination. I taught all my kids evolution and creation. I said, here's what the Bible says. Look what the, the atheists are saying. Da, da 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 da. Here's the facts. Of course I interpret it according to God's word, but I'm saying if you're only exposing people to one way of understanding things, don't be surprised if they grow up and believe it. I mean, I know how I went through school. Well, I wasn't a girl. I haven't changed that much. Anyway, uh, Here's a couple of different images, but, uh, you know, this is all I heard all the way through school. Evolution's true. The Bible's wrong. Evolution's true. The Bible's wrong. They didn't actually say it that way back then. Now they do. I've had kids from my home church youth group. say, yeah. Right in, right in class today, right in science class. The the teacher said, yeah, you can't trust the Bible. Science has disproven it right in class. 32 kids. Then you sit at home. You watch TV, you know, Hey, let's watch discovery channel. I love animal planet. Let's take the kids to see night at the museum. What's it saying? Evolution's true, the Bible's wrong. That's why I was amazed when I finally got saved, got integrated into a church, and I'd start to meet parents, you know. And and they're all confused, it seemed. Like they didn't get it. You know, their kids turned to be, I don't know, 13, 14, 15, and there seems to be this attitudinal shift in their kids. You know? Well look, I don't want to go to church anymore. You love church. Not everybody thinks like you, mom and dad. See, if you want to actually know where we're sitting right now as a church in North America, you know, George Barna, he's kind of the Christian Gallup poll guy, he does all these studies. He said this way back in 2000, he said, kids from Christian homes going to public schools, we lose 70% of them by age 18. We're literally hemorrhaging to death as a church in North America, as our young people get bled out the door and you ask many of those kids, well, why don't you Can't trust the Bible? Science has disproven it. See, I don't think this happens by chance. Um, As Christians here, many of you probably subscribe to Christian magazines. Do you know atheists have their own magazine? Of course they do. You can get magazines for everything, right? Skeptic magazines at uh, your local shopper's drug mart. Um, Here's John Dumphy, an atheist, quite an old quote now, talking about the future of humankind according to his atheistic belief. He said, I'm convinced that the battle for humankind's future must be waged and won in the public school classroom by teachers who correctly view the role as the preacher of a new faith he said the classroom must and will become an arena of conflict between the old and the new the rotting corpse of christianity together with all its adjacent evils and misery and the new faith of humanism folks um this isn't happening by chance they know exactly what they're doing Um, Richard Rorty professor at, um, uh, professor of philosophy at Princeton for many, many years when he retired said this, the fundamentalist parents of our fundamentalist students think that the entire American liberal establishment is engaged in a conspiracy. The parents have a point. We do our best to convince these students of the benefits of secularization. No God. So we're going to go right on trying to discredit you in the eyes of your children, trying to strip your fundamentalist religious community of dignity, trying to make your views seem silly rather than discussable. Now let me tell you how that plays out. Little Johnny's been going to church for a while. He's going to youth group now. And, uh, you know, he's all fired up. He screws up his courage and he goes and talks to his friend. Hey, Sam, you want to go to my youth group? And he bumps into someone like me when I was 15. I was a pretty aggressive atheist by 15. Hey man, you want to go to my youth group? (laughs) No, I mean, dude, how do you even know there's a God? You're just praying to the ceiling, you know? I mean, what about dinosaurs? How do they fit into your Bible? You believe that story about some guy got two of every animal on a boat. (laughs) It must've been a big boat. eh? Oh, Adam and Eve were the mother and father of all people. How come we got some people with light skin and some people with dark skin? Where'd the races come from? From two people. I mean, you don't really believe in a talking snake, do you? (laughs) We're going to strip your religious fundamentalist community of its dignity and make your views seem silly rather than discussable. See, now little Johnny's got more questions about his faith than before he ever tried to share his faith because he was unequipped in many cases. And if he goes home and he gets answers like this, it doesn't cut it. This is an information-driven society now, isn't it? You guys go to the local mall and this is what you see, you know? <laughs> you know? Hey, did you get my text? <laughs> the guy's three feet away from him. What are you doing? It's crazy. See, little Johnny's going to get all his information, but it just might all get skewed through a certain paradigm. Evolution is fact. Now, I don't want this just to be my opinion or CMI's opinion, et cetera. I mean, what Jesus had to say about this should have the utmost authority in your mind as a Christian, right? And he had a lot to say about this if you glean the scripture. This particular passage in John 5, he tears a strip off the Pharisees, gets to the end, and this is his summary statement to them. John 5, 46 and 47. He said, if you believed Moses, you'd believe me. For he wrote about me but since you don't believe what he wrote how are you going to believe what i say well the scripture says study to show yourself approved so what did jesus just say this is what he said if you don't believe what moses wrote you're not going to believe what he says which begs a question what did moses write genesis exodus leviticus numbers and deuteronomy where would we find those five books of the bible in our christian worldview Oh, in the foundation and if the foundation is destroyed what can the righteous do folks do you got some people you want to share the gospel with do they believe what Moses wrote let's go through it real quick here do they believe in creation no it's evolution now isn't it are they did they believe they're a sinner that they're fallen what are you talking about I'm a nice guy (laughs) remember my wife's birthday this year you know oh with biology no no I mean we look at it we went from pond scum we evolved to where we are today I mean the future's looking bright a couple more mutations and we'll be x-men hmm <laughs> that's pretty re- real <laughs> um, how about a global flood dude those layers they didn't get laid down at the time of a global catastrophe they got laid down slowly over millions of years oh you mean there's no evidence of the former judgment on the planet oh I guess we don't got to worry about the future one how about absolute right and absolute wrong is your uh, unsafe family and friends embracing that concept Or have you ever had a conversation, go something like this? Well, see, Cal, what's right for you might not be right for someone else. And everybody just has the right to believe whatever they want. Have you had that one before? In that typically sickeningly sweet voice they use as they pat you on the head and dismiss you as an intellectual buffoon? They don't believe what Moses wrote. They don't believe in Jesus either. see, I don't have time to get into a bunch of science stuff today, but let me give you one example. And this is crippling many, many, uh, as as pastor mentioned, even many high level theologians. They just don't seem to understand this, this concept. I can ask any Christian, how old do you think the earth is? And this would be the most common answer I believe I'd get. Well, everybody knows the earth's millions of years old. So you ask them, well, why do you know what, How do you know what you know? And they say, well, cause what I got taught, let me tell you how I came to this conclusion when I was in school, they would show me like exhibit a for millions of years. This is the grand Canyon. See all those layers. If you get up close to those layers, they're very fine. And I would be taught that, you know, between wet years and dry years, you might lay one or two of those varves down per year, just a little bit. And if you add them all up, well, it must take in millions of years to lay that down and I said, man, yeah, it makes sense to me, but who came up with that concept? Well, but 150 years ago. Uh, this man really championed a concept called uniformitarianism this is Charles Lyell wrote the book principles of geology and this became the benchmark in geology and what he championed was the fact that in lakes and rivers he would see slow sedimentation and then he applied that to earth history and said well there's never been a great flood this is just the earth's millions of years old but who was Charles Lyell well he was an anti-christian we know that from his letters that he wrote and that we've still got um, he was an amateur geologist he was a professional lawyer (laughs) so you got the anti-christian lawyer arguing from geology which isn't his specialty to discredit the scripture because if they don't believe what moses wrote they won't believe what jesus says and he was very highly effective in doing this now you guys are all looking a little bit serious here you're all happy with me when i first started i don't know is this kind of heavy for you guys or what trap door gonna open hmm um Guys, let's, let's apply this to our everyday life, things you've learned and stuff like that. I mean, slow sedimentation, one or two varves per year. How then would you make a fossil? How many of you guys have seen a, a diagram, something like uh, this in a textbook? You know, the, this is the way you make a fossil. You know, the fish is going along. He dies. He gets to the bottom. He gets covered over slowly, turns into a fossil. How many people have seen that in a textbook? Hands up. Wow. You guys have seen that? Have you seen that? Wow. How old are you? Yes, You you're 15 okay well i'm 46 so i can't i kind of am a fossil compared to you but they're still teaching you that stuff wow that's cool that's the same thing they taught me and that's the dumbest thing i ever got taught in school (laughs) you guys don't get it guys you got a lot of water around here you guys go swimming in it sometimes you ever do that you know you haul on your trunks and you run into the water and you're like (laughs) oh man i hate those fossilizing fish (laughs) that ever happened anybody here I don't mean you stepped on a dead fish I mean one that was half-baked you know no that never happen no I was in, uh, in Australia a couple of years ago Great Barrier Reef I got my goggles on very clear water I was looking down at the bottom you know I didn't see one dead fish sitting on the bottom waiting to be covered over slowly guys what happens to a dead fish sitting on the bottom of a lake or river and ocean all the other fish come along and they take chomps out of it and the crabs get in the bacteria you couldn't make a fossil like that but it's still in your textbook interesting isn't it based on something nobody has ever observed but i bought it did you there's a lot of things that christians buy and they don't think about critically because when i was in school i got taught how to think or what to think not how to think see uh, my wife's from nova scotia at the other end of the country there i'm always surprised i come out here and i they people ask me they say where are you from i say ontario they go oh out east I'm like, no, my wife's from out east. I live in the center of the country. Just wanted to point that out because I hear this over, oh, you're from out east. Doesn't make sense. Anyway, if you go out east to Nova Scotia and the Bay of Fundy, highest tides in the world, right? The water comes in and out and it erodes the cliff face very quickly. Do you know sometimes you can see trees 20 feet tall standing upright through the sediment? See that yellow bar? That's supposedly one million years of sedimentation according to Lyell's theory. Do dead trees stand upright? As the sediment comes in at a rate of five thousand years per centimeter no that thing got buried rapidly and catastrophically great evidence for what the bible says that there was a global flood the fountains of the great deep burst open the you know the 40 days and 40 nights of rain have you guys watched some of the the video of the destructive power of water like in the tsunami when it hit japan and stuff incredible what would you expect to find if genesis 6 to 9 was true At the end i'd expect to find billions of dead things buried in sedimentary layers all over the planet guess what i find everywhere i go exactly fits with what the bible says and some people say well yeah but we know dinosaurs are millions of years old really you know they were doing a dinosaur dig down in hell creek montana 2005 the news broke mary schweitzer an evolutionist got a hold of a tyrannosaur femur they broke it to take it out of the area it was in because they were in a remote area they don't usually want to break the bone and she published this article and these pictures in science magazine title of her article soft tissue in 70 million year old t-rex bones soft stretchy unfossilized material in you know red blood cells red blood vessels inside of a creature supposedly 70 million years old man that's pretty good Tupperware isn't it (laughs) must add the lid on pretty tight How do you preserve soft tissue for 70 million years? Here's a tip. You don't. Now, she was attacked by by reviewers. They were saying, one reviewer said he didn't care what the data said. He knew what I was finding wasn't possible. I wrote back and said, well, what data would convince you? And he said, none. She's gone out several times now and found more of this stuff. Uh, One time in an 80 uh, million year old supposedly hadrosaur, uh, a duck-billed dinosaur. She says you can sequence the amino acids in the collagen she's found. They found soft tissue in dinosaurs several times now great support that those creatures died out much earlier now some of you might be saying well you know cal that's some interesting science but uh your question was how old is the earth and you know what i love jesus i i talk to him every day and the age of the earth you know what it just doesn't affect anybody's faith it's just not important really how about the uh, atheists does it affect their faith how many atheists could be intellectually fulfilled if they didn't believe in millions of years? Zero. No millions of years, no millions of years to evolve anything, no way to explain how you got here without God. Millions of years is a die-on-the-hill battle for evolutionists and atheists. Um, what about Christians? Where are we going to put those millions of years? If it, the Bible doesn't teach millions of years. It teaches against it. But if you're going to try to put that together, where would you put them? I don't see anybody arguing for millions of years after Adam and Eve right they usually want to put it in the six days of creation you know God created in six days rested on the seventh uh right from the pulpit many times uh, gen- between Genesis 1 1 and 1 2 uh Christians have been taught the gap theory you just throw the dinosaurs and the you know the eight men in the millions of years between this imaginary gap and then it's fine right don't got to worry about it until you get to university and you get your teeth kicked in because it's not written like that in scripture and doesn't do anything to attack the evolutionary uh, timeline so they just mow you down The most popular way today uh, Christians are trying to uh, resolve this is to spread out the millions of years over each one of the days. You know, maybe God's days aren't like our days, etc. And then they think, well, that's solved it right but um remember that global flood I was talking about and many conservative theologians getting rid of it the reason they're getting rid of it is because they've bought into the idea of millions of years and you can't have a global flood and millions of years of sedimentation it's got to be one mechanism or the other to create the layers with the dead things in there so what they think they do is they say well we'll get rid of this global flood and we'll pop the millions of years back down here in the six days of creation and it's all good but they don't seem to think very deeply about these things because here's what you're now saying to your unsaved unregenerate friend or family member you're trying to share the gospel with see what god did is he used billions of years to create and at the end of his creation he pronounced everything was very good and adam and eve were in the garden and it was very good and they're sitting on a bone pile over a mile deep because the rock layers with all the dead things are already there which means you've got death before Adam sinned, because the bone pile records death, and suffering, and pain. Cancer is in the fossil record. Are you telling your your uh, unsaved friend that uh, God used cancer to create and called it very good? Now, theologically, you have this huge problem: death before sin. And the New Testament does not support death before sin. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but not if there was millions of years of death before um, Adam sinned. Romans 5.12, by one man sin entered into the world. No, it wasn't because of that one man. It's been there all, all before. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. What would the shedding of blood even have to do with the concept of forgiveness? If blood had been shed for billions of years before forgiveness was being needed. Now you can't explain the fall how about creation seems pretty clear when we read it this morning doesn't it six days just like the days we we experience now a common hermeneutic is to interpret scripture with scripture how would exodus 2011 for in six days the lord made the heaven the earth the sea and all that is in them as an example of our work week no gaps or millions of years but if the millions of years are true we don't really know about creation now, sometimes I go into churches and it seems like they're, you know, it's just like, you know what, this is, this is too deep. <laughs> we don't want to think too much, you know. We're just happy, clappy Christians and, you know, <laughs> we don't want to think too, too much here. And uh, they're just banking on the restoration, you know. God's coming back soon, you know. God's going to restore the world to the, to the way it was in the beginning. Oh, you mean the billions of years of death, that beginning? This affects every layer of doctrine. When you start messing around like this, absolute right and wrong. How's that going down? Many modern Christian churches, you know, their youth groups, I mean, they're under massive pressure to accept things like, you know, same sex marriage. You hear young Christians these days. Well, I don't know. I mean, if a guy really loves a guy and a girl really loves a girl, I mean, Jesus taught about love. Is that good logic? What if you love your dog? I've got a news report of a lady over in Europe married a dolphin. I'm not kidding. You should see the pictures. She's all dressed up in her gown and little orky. Or or or. or. You know, he's sitting there in his pool. The point is if it's not going to be God's absolute law, what's it going to be? Why can't I marry 22 women? Why can't a woman marry 55 guys? Why can't I marry myself? <laughs> I'd have all the benefits. I wouldn't have my wife's input every now and then. <laughs> no, I need my wife's input because I'm an idiot sometimes. But you know what I'm saying? It's not going to be go- But you talk to many Christians. Oh, well, you know, the Bible is just like guidelines. Okay, we got to wrap up here. But um, this next quote, I'm not quoting a Christian brother to uh, demean him or anything like that. I mean, the Bible says that the teachers get judged more harshly. And, and I'm not doing this to, to you know, hammer on him or anything. I just want to use it as an example because... We're teaching the next generation of pastors, well, some of us are, about how to think about God's Word. And this man had come to to the point in this part of his career where he believed in a local flood, and he's teaching the next generation of pastors how to interpret Scripture. Now, look what he says. This is Davis Young, professor at Calvin College. Now, he says, if geological facts, you know, like the fish getting buried, yeah, if those facts unequivocally require such an interpretation, the interpretation that the flood was local rather than global, to harmonize the Bible with nature, then science must be allowed to modify our exegesis of Scripture. Now, if you didn't catch that, let me tell you what he just taught the next generation of pastors how to think about God's Word. Here's how it works, kids. If you're looking in the Bible here, and it says something very plainly, it's very easy to understand. But secular scientists disagree with this. They're right, and you modify this. That's what he just said. And you want your live your life as a Christian like that? Let's apply it to the rest of our worldview here. How about virgin human females giving birth? What's the scientist going to say about that? No? Oh, we'll just modify our exegesis of Scripture then. How about dead people coming back to life after three days? No? I guess we'll just modify our exegesis of Scripture then. So you start playing around with God's Word, and you're going to end up with the one thing you didn't want to get rid of in the first place, but it's not supported by anything. This is what i'm encountering i'm encountering many christians and in a, in a bid for intellectual credibility they're saying things like this well look people are going to think christians are just dumkins you know if we don't accept science and and, and, and evolution all this stuff, they're going to think we're dummies i mean look at genesis it's got a talking snake come on it's 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 just poetic really well a uh, little bit over here there's a talking donkey Oh, you want science to be your master? Oh, how's the floating axe head uh, experiment going with you guys? Remember that one? Over here, there's a guy who walks on water and it's not even frozen. Which part of the Bible am I supposed to be embarrassed about? Do we believe in a sovereign God that created and intervened in his creation at any point? Or do I always got to go check in with the scientist to see what I believe? That's what it comes down to see we can defend this worldview the evidence is is there there's no problem god created a perfect world sin and death entered at the time when adam fell in rebellion mankind's been in rebellion ever since god has judged the world in the past there's ample evidence for it all over the planet he will do so in the future based on the law that he's written into your hearts but you haven't fulfilled it that's why jesus needed to come and die on the cross and god will restore the world to the way it was in the beginning That's a consistent Christian worldview, and we can defend that. And 1 Peter 3.15 says we are supposed to be able to defend that, to always have an answer when people ask the reason for the hope that we have. You want to talk to people about salvation, they're going to want to talk to you about all sorts of things. What about the ape man? Isn't natural selection evolution? All these types of things. And if you can give them intelligent, cogent answers, you can often talk to them about salvation like myself, it was very hard for me to see the message of the cross growing up before I had specific stumbling blocks removed. Now I have to get going here, but, um You'll notice there's some resources at the back. I encourage you to take a look at them. If you're wondering, well, you know, there's so much stuff. What books, you know, what would be the best book? I hear that a lot. There's a a red book back there with a question mark on it called The Answers Book. It answers the top 60 questions, you know, myself uh, and fellow speakers would get in a Q&A section. What about carbon dating? And what about the dinosaurs? And these types of things. So I'd recommend that. There's also one called Christianity for Skeptics, and it answers the, the uh, philosophical questions. How do you know there's a God? Why is there death and suffering? That kind of thing. And uh, we've actually bundled that into a package, by the way, because I, I just think that makes really good bookend apologetic uh, material for, for Christians. But here's our most uh, popular an effective equipping tool we've had now for 35 years is Creation Magazine some of you might be familiar with it and uh, it is a family magazine short articles easy to understand's it got a Genesis Bible study in it for little kids i know a lot of grandparents sending Creation Magazine to their uh kids in college and universities and, and grandparents because they they know how effective this is in in equipping them so as we travel around we usually do some kind of deal and here's what we're going to do this morning okay if you sign up for the magazine it's only 29 bucks and you get a free DVD so it's a Really good deal as a matter of fact if you appreciated the message i did here this morning that's one of the dvds you can get but you guys know how this works right but wait there's more <laughs> and if you sign up for three years it's only 78 bucks you get two free dvds okay Folks, it's a great deal we're just trying to get information out into the Christian community to help them okay so I'm going to get my ushers to come back they're going to pass out these clipboards because it'll really help if you just sign up here if you're interested and uh, just put your information down everybody's eyes up on the screen here see that little tag it's perforated Just take that off, bring it to the table and uh, we'll make sure you get your free gift okay so as the clipboards go around, just pass them to your neighbor when you're done if you're wondering well what kind of stuff am I going to get in this magazine Well I'll give you an example. Um, the question you know uh, how come there's different races? right well uh, we have featured this couple in our creation magazine quite a while ago now and you can see they've got medium brown skin now it just so happens that uh, each of them have a parent that's very dark and a parent that's very light so if you know anything about biology of course you inherit half your DNA from mom half from dad and uh, these guys have medium brown skin now, it just so happened when they had the their own twins that they popped out this way which was a real surprise to a lot of people we called them the two-tone twins right Now, why do we have these kind of articles? Well, they give you the apologetic. Look, if Adam and Eve were medium brown skin to start with, you could have all colors of the rainbow in one generation. And uh, I think Jewish legend said that Adam and Eve had something like 53 kids. You know, you guys all just came back from a homeschooling conference, right? Just imagine if you lived a long time and there was no TV. (laughs) It's probably not a Sunday morning joke. Sorry. I'm a homeschooler too, so it's, I can get to say these things. By the way, Creation Magazine Live, you might have seen on Miracle Channel. And if you can't get uh, Miracle Channel, uh, uh, then you can watch these episodes, this TV show myself and Richard Fangrad do. Um, just download them off our website. Great teaching videos, okay? And uh, don't forget our website, creation.com. So I'll turn it back over to Pastor here. Thanks so much for having CMI in. We really appreciate it. Love your uh, area of the country here. Hope to be back soon. God bless.